Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. And today, if you have a Bible, just open up to Romans 9. We're going to actually cover chapter 9, 10, and 11. And just to give you a heads up, this is one of the most like um, more like meaty, <laughs> meaty portions of Scripture theologically. So we're going to try to stay pretty high. Um, I may entertain the intellectuals uh, a little bit amongst us, but uh, other than that, uh, we're going to try to stay pretty high. And just to, just to see what Paul is trying to communicate, because sometimes when we read Scripture, we can kind of get lost in the weeds a little bit, and uh, so that's what we're going to do today. So let's pray before we start. Father God, thank you so much for your word and the power of your word. God, that it, it's something, Father, that reads us. We don't read it. God, your word reads our lives, reads our hearts reads us where we're at. And God, I pray that today, God, your word would meet us where we're at and bring us into a different place. God, bring our lives into a different place than where we came. Father, and pray that you would lead us as a, even a community together to be your people to bring heaven to earth. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, have you ever been dealt change in your life? Like, not just like, small change, like radical change. Usually it comes in the form of a job loss or comes in the form of a broken relationship or comes in the form of just circumstances changing wildly around your life and change massively happens. And the, the feeling that right in that moment before it gets resolved, right in that moment, we a lot of times have a similar feeling in that time frame. It's usually, change has happened, therefore I'm losing something, and it's going to be followed by lots of pain. That's mainly how we interpret change. If there's change, that means I'm losing something, and it's going to be followed by massive pain. That's just how our brain interprets change. Well, this is the scene, this is the scene to set this up. This is the scene that when Paul is writing to the Romans the Roman church. The Jews had just been let back into Rome from Nero and quietly, and so they had just gotten back to their church that for eight years they've been missing, these Jewish Christians, and they find an eight-year-old Gentile church kind of taken over. And so you've got these Gentiles, these Roman Gentiles, which in the Roman culture, especially in Rome, there was this elitist Roman air and attitude that, I mean, Rome was dominating Israel. And so the Roman idea was that Jews are kind of second-class citizens in this culture of Rome. And there was a lot of anti-Semitism even in Rome. And so while Paul's dealing with all that with the Gentiles, with the Jews, his people, his people, who we'll see he has a massive heart for, his people, it's like as if the rug has been pulled out from underneath them, and they're questioning, are we still God's people? 
Are we still God's people? Because all these Gentiles are now coming in. Most of the Jews aren't believing in the Messiah. And so what in the world is going on? And that's what Paul is trying to address specifically in these three chapters, is how do we bring these two kind of factioned parties back and together to be the one true called and elected church of God? So that's the overall, that's, that's, what, that's what Paul is trying to deal with. And so meanwhile, on the Jews' side, the Romans, they're elite, like I said, so Paul's got his work cut out for him to draw these people together and to see things the way God sees them. He said his, his people are those who receive grace through faith, that they are justified by faith. He just got done with chapter 8, which is the climax of the entire letter. Chapter 8, he lays out who we, what we have in Christ. He says that there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been rescued out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of his dear son. He says you've been brought out of slavery or bought out of slavery. That's that word redemption, being bought out of slavery and being brought into God's new family. You're adopted. You don't have to act like slaves or orphans any longer. You can actually be a part of God's new family on the earth. Um, he talks about even the role of suffering, which is what a lot of times we, we like to avoid suffering because we've got so many other things kind of going on. Can we just get some good news around here? Can we just stay positive? But life is not just positive. Life has a lot of suffering. And Paul even puts suffering in context of there's purpose in pain. There's, 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 there's in the suffering of life, God grows us up and matures us as we journey through him. And so even suffering has this redemptive role in our life to make us more like Christ. And so amazing chapter. And then he moves on to chapter nine. Now, Again, these Jews are like, what is going on? Did God change the game plan? And so in these three chapters, Paul alone quotes the Old Testament or references the Old Testament over 45 times in these three little chapters. And he's again retelling the story. It's, it's crazy when you really get into the scriptures how many times they retell the entire story. Because Jesus has to be told within the story of Israel. Jesus, the Messiah, doesn't make sense if we don't understand the backdrop of how God had been marked the people out and led them through, traveling with them, showing them who he is, and then sending the Messiah. There's just really no, doesn't make sense. And so when you think about what's the gospel, it's not just a sentence or two, it's a story. The gospel is a story to be told. So in Romans 9, he's creating kind of this case again, but it's so that they see that the Jews, that God has not abandoned the Jews. Calm down, Jewish folk. He hasn't changed the game plan. The, the Gentiles are not replacing Israel. Okay, that's not what's going on here. And, sent, and, and sadly, many people have interpreted this kind of section as saying that's what God actually is doing, is replacing Israel. But that's, that's not what Paul's saying. He brings up this illustration, something that 
people would be very familiar with, and that's of an olive tree. And, well, I'm, I, got, I got there too quick. Hold on. Back up. <laughs> so, it would be easy for the Roman Christians to think that God has now favored the Romans, or the Jewish Christians, not the Jews anymore. So they're saying, from the Gentile perspective, they're saying, so Jews are like, dude, did God change the game plan? Did he abandon us? Are Gentiles now replacing us? The Gentiles are like, well, so what if he is? You know? I mean, it's like, there's, they're Jewish. They're like second class. Man, maybe God moved up a level. Maybe God moved up to us Gentiles now. Maybe he tried enough with them. Maybe, maybe it's our show now. And Paul's like saying, no, 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 wait. You both got it wrong. And he brings up these terms about foreknowledge of God or the election of God or the salvation of God. And many times we just can't, sometimes we, we throw all these kind of terms together and instead of kind of handling them independently, um, we kind of assume that God being all knowledgeable, that he has knowledge of things that have yet to happen. That's his foreknowledge. But just because God foreknows something, does that mean that he necessarily predetermines it or determines or destines it with that foreknowledge? Interesting question. Paul references the Israelites as being God's elect. God's elect. This was God's elect. From Abraham on, God had an elect people on the planet, his people. And again, God only has one people on the planet at all times. There's one people. And so, as these, uh, as these elect Jews were growing, he gives some examples. Paul gives some examples of how sometimes even within the lineage of Abraham, God was still choosing people. So even Abraham's own children, Isaac was chosen, not Ishmael. Or even with Isaac, there was, um, Jacob was chosen, not Esau. And so Paul's trying to create a case that even from the beginning, God had his chosen people, even within the ethnic tribe of Israel. And so he's trying to bring this right back, and he uses this illustration of an olive tree. Now Paul draws his audience's attention to one of the major uh, sites and symbols of the Mediterranean world, and that's of an olive tree. One thing, an olive tree, um, an olive tree is very hard to kill. Uh, there would be wild olive trees if they weren't cultivated or maintained. There would be wild olive trees all over the place. But this little olive tree, one thing most people would know in this culture that we don't necessarily, because we're not around olive trees very much, but that if... If a gardener had a wild olive tree, that means it's got a lot of energy, it's got a lot of life, but the fruit isn't very mature. What he would do is that he would take a shoot from a cultivated olive tree that has really good fruit on it, and he would splice it or graft it into the base of that wild olive tree and what would, ha what would happen? That wild olive tree would become cultivated and its fruit become much better. Paul is saying that's what's happening here, but in reverse. 
the Jews are this cultivated olive tree that has been going on since Abraham. And God did not change the plan, Jews. This tree that God has been growing up, God's elect, God's people throughout all time, with Jesus now being the centerpiece of this new family of God, is that the Gentiles are coming in, but he's not writing off the Jews, but there's this little remnant of Jews, Jewish believers. And he's like, hey, we hope that this remnant, that with all these Jewish people coming into the church, maybe that would cause the Jews to become jealous and come back in. And so he's saying, no, 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 the, God did not give up on the Jews. There's still a promise over the Jewish people. God did not give up on them. But this new family of God are those who come by faith, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Gentile, they come by faith in Christ. That's what makes God's new people after the Messiah. So, okay, Jews, God didn't change the plan on you. All that, that rug didn't get really pulled out, but even though this is all different than what you're used to, God's story still has this continuity with the Jewish people. It's not that God is throwing out the Jewish covenant and replacing it with another one. It is that He has fulfilled it in Christ and has now made a new covenant with the entire planet. Wow, so it's so interesting. But I wanted to... So that's, in general, that's what Paul's trying to explain, okay? Took, you, took me 15 minutes to explain what was happening in three chapters. Sweet. But I wanted to zero in your attention on something in this section, okay? I, I just needed to lay that out because, again, there's so many theological issues about going on about pre, predetermination and election and salvation. And I just wanted to kind of frame them up a little bit, but... I wanted to draw our attention to Paul's heart that I think gets communicated in these. Listen to the heart that Paul has for his own people. In Romans 9.1, it says, With Christ as my witness, I speak with utter truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever accursed, cut off from Christ, if that would save them. Or again, in Romans 10, he says this, Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I wanted to focus in on Paul's heart and his passion for people to come to know Christ. And he knew that the, that the, the walls and the understandings and the already set into stone beliefs that that Paul was trying to have to come against about seeing them see Jesus for who he truly is. And his, and his heart and his, I mean, it just, it, it's very easy to say it, but Paul lived it. Paul traveled all over the place. He, he scrounged, he had his own business. He was a tent maker. So instead of taking the generosity of the church, he had his own business and he would make disciples through that business. He would travel town to town and he would give his all. And the first people he would go to, uh, usually in any town he went to, he'd go to the synagogue first. It was like the low hanging fruit of the gospel. And it was like he would go and his heart was to see his Jewish people come to know Christ in radical ways. And I just... I wanted us to just pause and think about that, of 
Paul's heart for people. How's your heart for people? How's our heart for people? I think it's very easy for us to, use, uh, to approach God in this very individualistic, hyper-individualistic way where as long as we're, you know, feel good about God, that everything's fine. But there's a growth process that it's not just about your salvation or getting on the team. It's like, great, you have a jersey. But now God wants to train you to get on the field and making plays in the kingdom of God. And one of the things that he really stretches us is our love for other people. And really, that's where kingdom life truly begins is when we get our eyes off of ourselves and onto other people. Do you have a passion for a people like that? Do you have a passion for, maybe it's not just all people, but maybe a specific group of people? What is that group of people that maybe God has put inside you in a very unique way to say, I've called you to this people. Do we see who those people are? Do you see who those people are in your life? I just wanted to spend this time just to pause and see that, you know, Paul's heart for people. So much in the church, I think, would happen. The things that were expecting or wanting to happen in the kingdom of God in our generation, most of all of that originates in the depths of our love for other people. Has God changed our heart enough for it to not be a part of our lives anymore, but to have it be about other people? And I gotta tell you, I know my heart needs to still grow. So by no means am I saying this like, come on, have hearts for people like me. No, I think all of our heart is more like, God, open up our heart to love people. Let us see the image that you've created them with. God, life has just marred them or tarred them and they don't have any clue or any connection to the image that God made them with. And it's God's people, it's God's light bringers, it's God's image bearers being on mission to the people around us to say, man, that's not how God made you. That's not how you are. Man, I see who you really are. This is who God made you to be. Come on, man, don't live that life, man. You're, you're too good to live that way. You're too better, not good as morally good, but your destiny is better than you living the way you're living life right now. I mean, those, those kind of messages to say, man, you're too awesome to live that way, man. That image, that's marring that image. You're becoming less human. The more you pursue the things that you want, your pleasure, but the more you pursue Jesus, you become more human, more fully alive, more the person that God called you to be. And so, surprisingly, the majority of Jews were rejecting Jesus as their long-awaited Messiah, and only this small remnant of believers, of Jews, had actually come. And so Paul's heart is like, man, my heart is for these Jews to come to faith in Jesus. And he says, but what does it say? In Romans 10, 8, he says, but what does it say? The Lord, the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, 
and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul is saying, man, everyone comes to Christ the same way. Whether you're Jew or whether you're Greek. It's about coming to faith in Christ. And it all happens the same for everyone. But this phrase, Jesus is Lord, in kind of religious circles, if you grew up in church, you've probably heard that phrase before, Jesus is Lord. But the phrase within Rome at the time was Caesar is Lord, being under Roman rule. And the Caesar at this time is Caesar Nero, which you look back on history and he was the most, one of the most uh, demented demonized Caesars ever. And this, this proclamation, Caesar is Lord, it was, it was you could kind of consider it a loyalty oath that if you were a Roman citizen and Caesar is your king, you'd say Caesar is Lord, of course. But in you proclaiming that, it would be assigning your allegiance to what you're proclaiming. And so... Just across the river, from the seat of power in Rome, in the poor districts of Rome where the Jewish Christians and, and Gentile Christians would meet, right across this river from the seat of power, Paul is saying, you need to proclaim Jesus is Lord. And Wow. There is something to proclaim Jesus is Lord. It means that you're telling in the same breath that Caesar is not. And it would cost something. It wasn't just a flippant prayer that they would pray out their mouth and, oh, I said the magical incantation, and now I'm a follower of Jesus. It's no, it's when you're aligning your allegiance for your entire life that Jesus is Lord. He is king over the whole earth. I'm following him. You're effectively also denying any other power or any other allegiance in your life. I've always kind of wondered about this, this whole section because sometimes it can kind of seem as trite or, yeah, yeah I believe that. Well, it's like, yeah, well, even the, you know, I think Paul, Jesus said, well, even the demons in hell believe in God. Like, what makes your, just because you believe it, what makes it different? And in the, we're not going to go there, but in the English uh, standard version in verse 16 and 17. He talks about how they did not obey God. And then the next question is, did they believe our message? And this, this relationship in between obedience and faith, it's, 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 it's interesting. So when you get in, when you get in the text, have, that, have those on your lenses. What's the relationship between obedience and faith? But Paul is saying, all come by the same road to God through his son, Jesus. But again, catch Paul's heart and his passion for his people. God, I pray that they would get, they would see this. Because it wasn't his motivation. I, I, I was asking somebody this week, I said, you know, it just seems like, well, I don't know if I want to go there. But um, 
It just seems like what's our motivation in the 21st century as followers of Jesus? What's our motivation to preach the gospel? And in certain contexts, it's like, well, when there's suffering, there's persecution, it sometimes seems easier to share your faith or share your life. But when everything is comfortable and in not, not always comfortable, but mildly comfortable for the most part, and, and we have a lot of superficial cultural things, you know, hey, how you doing? Fine. How's it going? But if you were to actually really crack the soul, how weird would that come across? But um, I've, just, I've just thought about the motivation, and I think Paul's motivation is that he could see if they became followers of Jesus, what would happen to their life? What would happen to their family? What would happen to the people around their life? What would happen to their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren? It was almost as if his heart was, it wasn't just for the person that's in front of him. It was for, it was almost as if he could see what God wanted to do through their life right in front of him. And I think as followers of Jesus, we have to have those similar lenses as Paul as to like, okay, God, if, if this person came to know Christ or came to follow Jesus, imagine the impact it would have on them. Imagine the impact it would have on their marriage. Imagine the impact it would have on their children and their coworkers and their job and their future and not only their life, but the lives that follow them. And it's almost as if in one moment, Paul could see that over a people and his heart would be, God, set them free. Set them free. And I just, as we're going through Romans, I just, I wanted to kind of, I felt like God just really leading me to kind of lean into this for us is our heart and love for people. And he says this, he asks some kind of uh, answerable questions, but he says this in Romans 10, 14. He says, how then will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. It was God's dream to create a priesthood of His people on the earth. And in Christ, in Christ, Paul says that you are all priests. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are a priest. You are a minister. You are set apart. You are God's chosen people. You are God's elect on the earth. And I just, I, I like these questions to make us pause and say, man, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is where I think God really wants us to lean in. That God has sent you the same way he sent his son. Paul, or Jesus praised that in John 17. God, I pray that you would send them as you've sent me. God is sending us in this generation to be salt and light to people around. And my prayer that through this, that our hunger for people would actually grow. That our hunger and love for people to get in their mess, to get in the mire that they may be in, to say, man, life can be better than this.
your calling and destiny on your life is so much better than what you are seeing right now, but you've got to pursue Jesus. And it's worth giving it all to pursue him. So with that, I just wanted to end with, we're going to end with communion. In a place and in a generation that we're in, I truly believe we have one of the greatest opportunities to be people of life, of love, and of truth that would shine brighter and brighter in a culture that may be, arguably, darker and darker. And it's about His people being set apart, that they're His followers, that they see that His broken body and His shed blood were the payment to set mankind free from the power of sin and to be adopted into God's family. And so God is not only reminding us of His sacrifice this morning, but He's also charging us with the reward of His sacrifice that we would live in it fully, live in it completely. Amen? So Lord Jesus, we thank You, God, for Your shed blood and Your broken body for our sin, for our need for control. God, we're, re- we're placing that back into your hands again, fresh today and this week. That, Lord, you are king, and we proclaim our allegiance to you. But, Lord, we also go out with your fresh life, your fresh resurrection life, to be a shoulder to cry on, a person to hug, one to encourage, one to challenge, one to get in the mix with. That God, you've equipped us with this kind of love because your love does that for us and has done that for us. Father, we thank you for your pursuing love. And God, let you pursue others through our life, through the willing vessel that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.